The following podcast contains spoilers and words like piss, shit, and fuck. We watch it. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We Watched a Thing with Billy and Dave. How you doing, mate? I'm doing very well, mate. Yourself? I'm doing good. We've got some fancy new artwork up for the pod. <laughs> ah, it's pretty, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> you got your got your pencil out and uh, drew some pictures. <laughs> I did. I doodled. <laughs> looks awesome, mate. It looks good. What what have you been up to anyway? Uh, work's ramping up. Normally, I get January as kind of downtime to yeah. sort of catch up on all the shit that's piled up in the preceding year. Everything's kicking off a lot earlier this year. So, yeah, I've been a, been a busy boy at work, so not a lot of downtime, which has sucked. But I've been the same. Work, work has been fairly hectic, but I still managed to uh, hop on over to movie reviews in 20 Qs and do an episode with Sam about uh, Way of Water, which I think ah. is going to come out probably same day that this ep comes out. So that's a bit of fun. Go check that out. And uh, even though back in uh, October I said that I was going to go with Fortnightly, instead, not only have we not done that, we've been doing two movies a bloody week, mate. <laughs> it's just too much There's fun. There's so much stuff coming out. Well, that's the thing. There's so much to watch. So, shall we get straight into it then? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's kick it off with Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre, a 2023 spy action comedy film directed by Guy Ritchie, written by he, Ivan Atkinson, and Marn Davies. It stars Jason Statham, Aubrey Plaza, Josh Hartnett, Carrie Elwes, Bugsy Malone, and Hugh Grant. And what is it about, Dave? Spy hijinks. (laughs) <laughs> Cockney accents. Um, it's pretty much it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's Richie. So Cockney accents. It's a, <laughs> Richie going back to his his roots in, to a point with you know fairly large ensemble cast, some convoluted plot hijinks, international intrigue. I mean, um, Statham it heads up a, a team of you know the best in their field type, <laughs> unconventional, international adventuring espionage types um, and they're gallivanting around the globe chasing MacGuffins and trying to beat rival teams to said MacGuffins fun and hijinks ensue <laughs> well I'm, let's get into this then I'm really excited to talk about this one because I know that you were extremely keen you messaged me oh, must have yeah. been must have been about six weeks ago when you first saw the trailer saying oh my god we're doing this on the show <laughs> 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 and uh Okay, so let's get straight into it. I'm going to show my cards early here, only because I think this is going to be really fun, and I think we're going to disagree quite a bit. I fucking loved this movie. Oh, why wouldn't you? It's it's a lot of fun. I I was, you know, as you say, I was super hot. The trailer was fantastic. You've got uh, what what you know, Guy Ritchie getting back to the the shit that made him famous, the stuff that we loved him for. Um, A cast of, you know. People I love, people that yeah, everyone yeah. loves. Everyone loves Hugh Grant. Everyone loves Aubrey Plaza. How could you not? Statham yeah. doing the stuff that we like Statham doing, yes, as opposed yep. to we know whenever he deviates from form and we all hate him. But this is the stuff that we like to see him doing. So yeah, I mean, it, it very much came, you know, showing its cards as this is Guy Ritchie getting back to being the powerhouse director of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Sadly, I think he failed. <laughs> <laughs> this movie bummed me out. I was oh, so no hyped way. for it. No, I was I, so I, hyped, and and 
it's hard to put my finger on because the cast were all doing what I wanted them to do. They're yeah. all, you know, Aubrey's doing Aubrey, Statham's doing Statham, Hugh Grant's doing, you know, the Hugh Grant 2.0 stuff that we've seen him doing yeah, in more yeah. recent films. In yeah, this really playing against second, type from- second half of his career as yeah. Um, and, and he's he's been really good at it, um, and and he was really good in this. And yeah, um, other folk I really like, like Max Beasley, crops up who you know we don't see nearly enough of. And yet, it was just it just kind of left me a bit flat. Oh, and I couldn't, I, I can't quite no. put my finger on why. I, I think I think the plot was a little bit convoluted and not particularly well written. The individual scenes, there were a lot of scenes that I was enjoying, but I sort of. I just found myself a bit bored. Yeah, right. I didn't get bored once. I found the humour actually really on point, which I I don't always with these kind of films, but most of the time I thought the movie was wanting to be funny. I genuinely thought it was. Like you said, I thought the acting was fantastic. Like Mm. Hugh Grant stole the show, but everyone else in this movie is playing on almost the same level and they're all having so much fun with it, which I think- to me, that's the kind of thing that always stops me getting bored, even if the plot might be overly convoluted. If I can see that the people on screen are just genuinely having a hell of a good time, it's hard for that not to be contagious, especially when, like, Hugh Grant is having so much fun with this role. Oh, Statham- this, and, and I should say, I didn't hate my time with it. I, yeah. I think I was coming in with really high expectations. I think that if, never helps. If, yeah. if if this film wins any awards, it should go to the people that made the trailer because <laughs> the trailer was all the good stuff and more. Yeah, and there wasn't a whole lot left in the actual film that that wasn't in the trailer. But I did. I, I loved um, Aubrey Plaza and Statham together. I, yeah, and and I do. I I would like to see a sequel to this because I think most of the yeah, failings, yeah. most of the stuff problems I had were to do with the script. Yeah. So, I, and oh, and some of the direction. There's a little bit of <laughs> god awful direction that we'll get to. But um, I, I do. I would like to see a sequel because I liked all of the the characters and I liked the yeah. chemistry between them, particularly within Statham's team. So agreed. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. When the movie was over, I turned to Nuskin and said, fuck, I would watch 20 more of these. <laughs> yeah, I've made it no secret that I'm no James Bond fan. I'm not, I don't care for that style of spy thriller. This yep. is, you know, with a good helping of cheese, this is what I need to find a spy film enjoyable. And yep. Carrie Elwes, <laughs> even, even like, I'm with you. I loved the chemistry throughout the team, but I would just watch him be like the Boswell character recruiting oh, he was, he different was, kinds of people. Like, <laughs> yeah, e- equal parts sort of Boswell and Basil Exposition. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I he, loved- his humor was brilliant. I, I loved his. The, the cynical note because it was a complete a, a nice counterpoint to um, Statham's sort of acerbic stubbornness yep. to have this prim and proper but equally cynical and anti-establishment <laughs> character as well. Yeah, um, yeah. The characters were all great. I, I, I did really enjoy the cast and the characters. Well, let's get into the story and the script then, which you think is the biggest weakness. I loved the opening of this film. I loved that the movie just started and you're 
into the mission. The set, like the very first line basically is like, I have a mission for you. And it's like, yes, that's all I want. <laughs> Give me Gary was walking down a hallway. You know, I could listen to the clip clop of those beautiful feet all day. And then we're straight into the story. Where did it take a wrong turn for you? Like, was this the kind of thing where you were really into it at the start? And then as it got more convoluted, you dropped out? Or were you kind of bored from the get-go? I think that that um, intro with Elways and the clip clop walk down the hall was very great. That was great. I, yeah. That grabbed me. I was in. It kind of felt to me like there'd been a movie that was about 20 minutes longer and Richie had been told to cut it down. And so he didn't want to lose the meat of it. And so he trimmed the front end because the always bit was great, but it felt like we were missing some of the establishment of character, particularly for Statham. Because we go from that with, you know, Elway's going in, we need your your guys. Oh, well, I want to use, you know, this guy. Oh, he's a bit of a wild card. Oh, no, but he's the best. You know, fairly deliberately cliched, trite stuff that we've seen, you know, many times before, but it worked. Yeah. But I kind of felt that there was a little bit missing after that where we would have spent a bit of time with Statham on his holiday or doing something just five minutes before he's suddenly in a mission. And it felt like they'd had to trim some flab and that's the flab they decided to trim. But I think it's the poorer for it. Either that or or the writing of the the script is just a little bit lacking at the front end. But it felt to me like they'd had to cull some stuff. That's so funny. So we had completely different experiences then because I loved that we got right into it. And I actually really enjoyed that all of the backstory we needed about these characters we got as the film went on. You know, I actually quite liked that we didn't do the whole kind of title card introduction to each character. And uh, you're right. I, yeah, I think I, in a lot of not, movies- Not the cliches, but- Yeah, because I think you're right. I think in a lot of movies, the film would have started- with Statham, with like, you know, maybe a mission gone wrong or something, like a little five, ten minute scene, and then you're into Cariel was getting the mission. But I really like that this didn't do that personally. Yeah. Oh, see, I, I, I wanted a bit my I felt like the movie shortchanged Statham a little bit, but certainly yeah. everyone else in his team. It was, it's, so if you think back to De Palma's Mission Impossible, where, you, you start off, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen a movie that's about 40 <laughs> years old, but um, you start off with what you think is going to be the crew. It's Emilio Estevez, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And you follow them through a very exciting mission for the first sort of five, ten minutes, and, and you've got this sort of, this is all the cold open, and then they all get killed apart from Tom Cruise. Yeah. And yeah. then you get then you get your title card. It's like, oh shit, what's happening? <laughs> but when you do when you then get your next team, you get a proper introduction to each of them. You 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 Luther and Jean Renault, etc. You get a, a at least a, a a bit of a verbal intro so that you you know who these characters are. All we kind of get in Operation Fortune is Aubrey Plaza. Well, she used to work for the rival guy. Oh well, we'll get her because the guy that we want has gone to work for the rival guy. But you don't find out anything about her beyond the fact that she used to work for Michael, whatever his name is. And so I spent the first half of the movie going, is she going to be a traitor? Is she still working for that guy? Which I don't think the movie wanted me to do. I just yeah, don't think yeah. they gave me enough backstory for me to accept that she's left him. Three seconds of 
you know, quick cut flashback to her slapping Mike in the face and walking out because he's cra- tried to crack onto her or something. Yeah. Would I think have addressed that? And I was surprised because if any director's going to give me little quick cut edits of something in a flashback, I would have thought Guy Ritchie's the guy that would do it. He loves a quick cut. He loves to yeah, have yeah, yeah. little snippets of, of, of visual to convey a lot of information in a small space of time. Yeah, I was going to say, it's really funny because this is almost like it's simultaneously the most Guy Ritchie and the least Guy Ritchie. Like, I think I think there's a lot that is obviously his kind of bread and butter. You know, like you've got the whole gangster spy type stuff. You've got the Cockney mm. accents. You've got a lot <laughs> of fun and stuff. But you're right. I, th- I think the directorial style has changed a lot since, say, Snatch or Lockstock. It, feels, it felt to me like- which is, could well be the case given the, the, the time frame and, and how long it is since those films, that he's sort of lost his signature style in the intervening years, was, but he's yeah. desperately attempting to get it back. So he's trying to craft a film in, in that ilk. Yeah, yeah. But he but he doesn't kind of have that mojo anymore. It's it's too long since he's done it. He's out of practice. And I so can't think what the I last don't think Richie it's films. come as naturally to- was the gentleman him? It was, but I didn't see that. I haven't seen either uh, of the Sherlock. See, Holmes. the gentleman, I, I think, was yeah. a, a much better film than this. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was a little bit less, I don't know, sort of flashy, but I think it was better written, and yeah. I, I just think it it had more of that Guy Ritchie persona that we all loved in Lock, Sock, and Snatch, etc. Yeah. Than I think this does, um, and then. Towards the end, there's a little bit of M. Night Shyamalan FPS video game direction during one of the gunfights that almost made me walk out of the theatre. In this film? Yep. No way! Did you not- I, did, did, did you not I was just that? I was just having such a good time with this film. I Like, I- Wow- it sounds like we had almost completely different experiences. Maybe it's because I, my expectations were as high. It, it doesn't. It didn't belong in this film. Any yeah, right. Than it belo- then Shyamalan should have put it in in Glass. But that whole final act of Glass, which was the cherry on the turd cake that was that film, <laughs> yeah. where you suddenly you're in first person shooter land with the camera looking down the barrel of a gun as you jerkily run around a. Oh, that's the you know, shot you're talking about. I actually, I really, really liked that. Oh, you really did it. It was awful. I did. I loved the gun <laughs> point of view shot where, where, where it's not looking, because it's not, it was, it's it not was looking sort of in down reverse, the barrel of the gun. It's looking but it back was, it at It was still him. that yeah. it jerky video game thing. Oh, yeah. No, I had a- I have never seen that. it work well in a film <laughs> ever. It just, I had it a- takes me back to the rock in fucking Doom and <laughs> Shyamalan's awful glass- and See, I was, I have, I was I, sitting there just going, Richie, what are you doing? Did, I have you, such you little recollection of glass. I have such little recollection of glass that it didn't make me think of that at all. I, I remember thinking, it's, I mean, oh, it's, it's a pretty I'm, cool I'm shot. a little bit unfair. It's, this film is nowhere near the steaming pile that glass was. But that little sequence in, in what was otherwise, I think, a great action sequence that I was really enjoying. And then suddenly we're in video game land and I was just yeah. sitting there going, Richie, what are you? doing i i actually dug that i dug that quite a lot in fact i i really enjoyed the entire last 
third act of, of this film. I loved the progression of Grant's character, actually, from... Because it's funny, you knew that he was, like, this big crime lord, but he spends mm. so much of the film being kind of bumbling that it's like, really? And then that final act, when he goes into that room and he gives that really, like, hard that speech was, and it's that like... That was good stuff. Fuck, that's good. That is just yeah. so good. I, like... I loved that turn. I, I, I actually really enjoyed the story of the film. Like, yes, it's a bit convoluted and like all spy thrillers, especially action spy thrillers, you get a lot of that, oh, okay, well, now we have to go to this country and now we have to go here and now we have to go here because, you know, this is where the MacGuffin is at this point in time. Like, yes, it suffers yeah. from that as much as every other film of this genre. That's, but that's I was having a lot of the genre, fun though. You, do it. Yeah, you're exactly. going, and, and all the most of the Bond films are the same. It's it's just part and yeah. parcel of telling this global story that has a a set piece here, and then a set piece in Istanbul, and then a set piece in Helsinki, yeah. and then a set piece in I don't know Machu Picchu or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, short of having the map on screen with the dotted line plane going yes. from place to place, <laughs> you, you kind of have you you just accept that as part of the genre, and that didn't bother me. And I, I mean, I kind of feel like I'm being too hard because I, I did enjoy my time with it. It suffered, obviously, because my expectations were so high, but I did enjoy all the characters. I did enjoy most of the action stuff. Hugh Grant, as you say, was amazing. We had a couple of great sniper from a distance picking people off, which, which I, I just love. <laughs> yeah. um, the, you know, ever since, you know, Usual Suspects did it, the highly yeah. underrated Losers did it with um, – <laughs> Chris Evans finger gunning people and having them shot by a sniper <laughs> from a kilometre away, um, and then you had it again in this, which I, you know, I loved that scene. I loved a lot of the scenes in this. I just yeah. felt that the story that kind of tied them together was not particularly interesting or well written. I mean, that's which, that's- and it's weird that the, the di- I should say, I think the dialogue and the individual scenes were good. Yes. I just think the story was it's a bit narrative. Bland. Yeah, yeah. Um, I get that. I mean, it's always a risk. And for me, it was a move that pulled off. I I really liked the idea that they did not even know what they were looking for. Like, there's something about that that for me is fun. And it's like hanging a lampshade on the MacGuffin. It's like this thing really doesn't matter at all to the point where even the characters in the film don't know what it is. Like, it's literally just a plot device to to get all the action happening. And I actually really enjoyed that. But it is a risk because it does run that, you know, like, oh, if you don't even know what they're searching for, how can you be interested? (laughs) Yeah. And it was very much that sort of latter Roger Moore, James Bond era of it being a completely unrealistic science fiction thing. You know, it's a computer program that will enable you to, to basically do magic. Well, yeah, yeah. It, it reminded me very, very- I can't even remember which Fast and Furious it is where they're looking for whatever they- I think they call it the God's Eye. And it's like, okay, well, that's not a real thing. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it didn't It didn't bother me too much. I, I mean, you throw Aubrey Plaza in a film, I'm there. You oh, add Aubrey on Plaza. fucking Carrie Elwes, I'm there and a half. Like, you know- <laughs> I just, I was having so much fun. Yeah. Did you think that there was a bad performance in the film? No. Nothing yeah. that stood out to me. I mean, you've got some forgettable people. The two kind of tech billionaire guys were pretty vanilla. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't think they were meant to be charismatic. They were meant to be nerdy billionaire <laughs> nothing yeah. characters. 
Um, I could have done with a little bit more moustache twirling villainy from was it, was his name Mike, the the rival yeah. Statham. I could yes. have done with a little bit more. He he was a little I, bit bland. I, I I'll think agree. He could actually, have been a bit more. I think character wise and plot wise, that was the weakest side of it for me. Was it was very very clear from the start that Mike had gone rogue. It was never really explained what his motivation for that was, really. I, I do agree that that side of the story was definitely weak for me. Yeah, I think it needed a- Because, I mean, I can't even remember who played the part. That's how no. bland the character was. Was it a name actor? I don't nobody, think so. It? it was nobody that I recognised. Yeah, see, that uh, needed a Dugray Scott or someone that could- Peter Ferdinando. Give- yeah, whoever. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could see a Dugray Scott or a, an Ed Norton or someone in that role. Oh, that'd be cool. That can yeah. do to, because Statham's got such a presence on screen to to believe that this guy was sort of the, his arch rival and his equal in most things. I think it needed someone. That's true. With yeah. a bit of you know a bit of screen presence and and I mean he, yeah. Yeah, get get the would, Rock in there doing a Cockney accent. <laughs> Hobson Shaw, who's the girl? <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean, I, I'll be there for the next one if there is one. Um, I don't yeah. know if it will. It, it, I mean, it's early days, but it doesn't look like it's setting the box office on fire against, you know, a 130-odd million budget. So, yeah. yeah. Who knows? I mean, according to Wikipedia at the moment, um, box office is 5.5 million which yeah, is very, it's very, very soft. <laughs> Even though it's sort of any previous stuff, it's still very soft, particularly when you compare it to the film we'll be talking about next. Well, how about how about we get over to that? How are you scoring Operation Fortune Ruse de Guerre? Oh. Look, I can't go below a pass mark because it's got Aubrey Plaza in it and my heart just won't let me. So I'm going to give it like a five and a half. Holy crap. <laughs> This, I mean, we've only been doing this together for a couple of months now, but that is, this is going to be our biggest disparity for sure, because I was very, very close to giving this an eight. Ouch. <laughs> wow. I, and I, I landed on a seven in the end because I'm like, oh, look, I'm sure that part of this is just, you know, the fun of having a chock top and being in the cinema, <laughs> you know, like, so I will revisit it. But yeah, I had so much fun with this movie. I, I think I, I think because I was I was looking forward to it so much. Yeah. The 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 trailer had me so excited for it. And I think the yeah, the further I got into it, the more I kind of started sort of sagging into a seat going, is it gonna kind of, you know, give yeah. me more? It's it's <laughs> it, it's fine it's fine, it's better than Johnny English, but you know <laughs> it's it's not kind of you know, I wanted, you know, the same, I guess, energy and excitement and fun that um, sort of, you know, a few decades ago people would have got from seeing in like Flynn or something, you know, the, the yeah. um, James yeah. Coburn spy films where it's over the top, it's all action, it's all fun, it's just nonstop in your face enjoyment. And I guess yeah. kind of I didn't get that energy from it. It kind of yeah. felt, you know, like a- a bit better, but sort of, you know, late era Brosnan. 
<laughs> I, I, I was just going to say, you know, who would have been awesome as Mike? Fucking Brosnan. Like, get an actual Bond in there as the He's awful now, though. That was what I, I- Actually, I'm glad you reminded me because the, the, the thing that it uh, most reminded me of, and it, uh, I should preface, it's a lot better than this, but the most, <laughs> the most recent Brosnan film I've seen- where he plays a master thief who has a team of thieves under him and they gallivant around the globe. It's, it's, it, there's a lot of DNA in, <laughs> it, it shared between these two films. And it was, I think, my worst film of 2019 right. or whatever it was. It was wow. fucking awful. <laughs> and he was awful. He was one of the worst things in it. He was so bad. Wow. Now I've, now so, I've yeah. got to watch that. I've got to look up what I'll, that was called. I'll look I'll look it up in, in Letterboxd and, and I'll let you know. I don't <laughs> recommend you see it because it's fucking terrible. I think I gave it a half. Oh, half wow. was my, my star rating in Letterboxd. <laughs> well, let's get over to a film which I think I can already guess that both of us are going to recommend. Uh, Mthrigan. Mthrigan or Megan (laughs) (laughs) is a 2022 American science fiction horror film directed by Gerard Johnstone, written by Akala Cooper, uh, from a story by Cooper and James Wan, who, of course, we all love, stars Alison Williams and Violet McGraw, with Amy Donald physically portraying Megan and Jen Davis voicing the character. (laughs) And what is this one about, Dave? It's uh, superficially, it's about a creepy doll. Um, (laughs) much in the vein of Chucky and many other films. Um, Yes. But, uh, I mean, there's depending how deep you want to delve, it's about grief, it's about parenting, it's about, uh, you know, multiple facets of psychology. I think there's a a lot in this film. Yeah, I was really actually surprised by that, I have to say. Um, And what I like- But it's about about a creepy doll. (laughs) Well, yeah, and all of that stuff is not really surface. Like, this isn't like an art house film where it's, like, genuinely exploring grief or anything. It's almost like that's a byproduct of the entertainment, which I think is actually really, really good. Because this is an entertaining film, first and foremost. Oh, gotcha. I had a hell of a lot of fun with this. This was a good week for me because I saw this and then (laughs) Operation Fortune. Um, News... Famously doesn't like horror, but she saw the trailer for Megan and was like, I think I could handle it. Well, it's only, what is it? It's, it's only M in Australia. I think it's PG-13 yeah, in the States. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's there's not. There's not a lot of nasty in there. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, it was Friday the 13th, worked out perfectly for date night to see this, and uh, <laughs> she she loved it as well. This was a lot of fun. Well, it's it's very funny. Yes. I, I, yes. I was laughing. Which I was and- expecting, but I thought it would be more campy funny. Like, I thought that a lot of the humor- oh, Yeah, uh, like silliness- horror movies, fun, like like Chucky or anything like that, but I, I think yeah, it's intentionally but it's not. I, I think a lot of the dialogue is, yeah, genuinely funny. Yeah. And, and I mean, I've never experienced the sort of quote-unquote uncanny valley effect in a film before. Yeah. The films where supposedly people find it, Polar Express, um, a lot of those- Final Fantasy. Yeah, yeah well, even less, not even a hint of it there. I could sort of see where people, because um, Polar Express particularly, you've got Tom Hanks, who's a very recognisable face. So, you kind of have a, yeah. a reference point to experience the difference. I've never had any of the uncomfortable experience viewing those things. This one, I guess because it's a live action film- rather than a straight, you know, fully CG film. The design on Megan is creepy as 
fuck. She's yeah, so yeah. unsettling in, in how realistic the face is. Yes, um, but still I think very doll-like. Yeah, it's it's completely doll-like, but you can understand in that situation why everyone would double do a double take yes. and then go, oh, something's really wrong with that kid. Yes, yeah. I think the design yeah. is absolutely superlative. It's, it's I that agree. perfect amount of lifelike versus doll-like. And yep. um, put me on record, this shits on Chucky or any of the others in terms of being <laughs> a creepy doll. Chucky's funny and, I've, you know, it's kind of fun. You know, it's, it's it's a lot of fun. Well, Chucky is campy. Chuck, Chucky's all since the first one and, and progressively even more so as it's gotten on. Chucky is very but much about the none, camp factor. None of the Child's Play films have I ever thought that's a scary antagonist. Yeah. It's a tiny yeah. doll. You'd pick it up by the hair. You'd throw it across the room. At no point have I ever gone, those people should be in danger. No, they're all idiots if they're being in any way yes. threatened by this tiny doll. Yeah. Megan's a scary as shit. I'd move out and yeah. the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And even like, more than the way she looks, I think it's great design. The way she moves, like the oh. way she walks is very unsettling. It's off-putting the way she walks and around. And a couple of genius choices, like when she chases- that fucking little- Oh, and she gets down kid. on all fours like an animal. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I mean- Genius. Yeah. Unexpected, but it just added that extra yeah. level of malevolence to yeah. her. But even um, when she when she goes after, uh, what's his name? Ronnie Cheng um, and yeah. stops and, and dances in the hallway. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. I- I was honestly surprised by how good I thought this movie was. I expected to have fun with it, but yep. I didn't expect to actually like actively think it was good, <laughs> mm. uh, which I do. I think this is a very good film. And and I think that you'd be hard pressed to find someone who doesn't like this. I think it's genius in its, its production. I mean, it's, it's, it's doing it's, exceptionally well. And, and how, yeah. I mean, I wanted to, one thing I was wanting to talk to you about as a VFX guy is it is it impressive that this film only cost twelve million? Because to me, it seems incredibly impressive that something that presumably has a lot of effects shots, like that's yeah. not an actress that looks like that. It, I mean, I'm assuming it's an actress with a whole layer of computer generated makeup over the top of her. I mean, there's no, there's no way that that face is practical at all. Like that face is a hundred percent CG. Sure. I would have, that's what I would have thought, but I'm assuming there is a fair amount of high high end puppetry in there with silicon face and animatronics and, and, and that sort yeah. of thing. But but even that is would not be cheap at this level. No, it is it is very impressive that that's very, the very budget. Cheap. And I mean And I mean that's, no, that's, that's what, Jason Bloom. That's you know I was gonna say that's he, what he this has shit always out. done um, well. Malignant Looked great for what it was. I mean, it's yeah. not its best film, but it was a lot of fun again. Um, yeah. And it had some cool effects, practical effects stuff in it. And and that's just what he does. He he knows how to turn this yeah. stuff out really cheaply. Exactly. But still that's what Bloom has always done. Quality. And, you know, like, love him or hate him, you know, like, obviously there are some people who really dislike Blumhouse, you know. Paul from The Countdown, I think, has gone on record a few times saying how shit Blumhouse no, generally but, are. But- <laughs> and, and I've said this to Paul before. He remembers things like Fantasy Island and Truth or Dare. Oh, I think that was one. He remembers the shit, Island. and he forgets about. He, he sometimes forgets about the Get Outs and and the the really good. Say, and yes. and they've got. I think. I mean, sure, two thirds of their stuff 
is probably two star and below fodder yep. that's all made money. But at the other end, you've got stuff that was also cheap to make, but is really good. Yeah, I think what I would say about Blumhouse is <clears throat> love him or hate him. He's he not is just an exceptional a- producer. Like he mm. is exceptionally good at producing films, and he doesn't always produce good films. But I think that he, he, re- he really, really knows what. Yes, he really, really knows what he's doing. Yeah. And so when you combine that with a script that is great, with direction that is great, with acting and performances that are great, he is able to produce an extremely good quality film for very cheap. And it oh, is yeah. honestly shocking. He and James Wan, when they're co-producing, yeah, you know they're batting a hundred. Really, the the worst of what they've put forward is at least pretty good, and the yeah. best of it is outstanding. Yes, was the Invisible Man Blumhouse? Pretty sure it was. Yes, I think so. Yeah, and that um, was another one that I thought you were was a bit higher on that than me. But I think even I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, it's no surprise that a sequel that, to Megan is already in development. Which and I, I hope I mean, that the sequel is Megan I, with a four for the A. <laughs> <laughs> it has to be. Meg Fawn. But, I, I mean, I am nervous about what it's going to be, though, because I think this movie is perfectly bookended with a start and an end. I, it doesn't scream yes. out to me other than financially for a sequel. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and so I'm hoping that they're not going to have some ham-fisted thing where they've got a director for hire and they just churn something out because it's going to make money. Yeah. Um, I mean, we it- haven't even really spoken about the rest of the cast yet because we were talking about how great Megan is. Um, Alison Williams. The- oh, so she's good. I love her. Yeah, she's fantastic. But even- Violet McGraw as, as Katie, I was very surprised how good the child performance was in this film. Yeah, and I think I, 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 I hope I'm not inventing this in my brain. I'm sure I saw someone mention somewhere that she, that actress, is the sister of the actress from Blackphone. Oh, right. Okay. I think I, I think I'm not making that up. Um, who was also very good, even though that movie was nowhere near as good as this. Um, no, she's uh, Violet McGraw was fantastic. Yeah, as, and given that she's in, you know, eighty percent of the film, really, um, it's it's yeah. she could have sunk this if she'd been a regular child actor and stunk, but she's great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I think you're right. I think that's where I'm like, well, how does this work as a sequel? Because not only is Megan gone, and I mean, sure, you could reboot the technology, but I mean, you would hope that that's not something that, you know, Alison is going to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> who, who is who is going to bring back Megan in the sequel? And is it going to be Megan or will it be some other doll? Because let's face it, the Megan doll has been smashed to bits. It's not like that silicon face still exists. And if yeah. you were trying to improve that technology and go, okay, well, the, the last one turned into a psychotic killer. Let's put some more safeguards in place in the firmware and do a 2.0. I don't, I don't, Surely you I don't would think at least a, change the face. <laughs> I don't think a sequel would work with with a different- I mean, think about it. There's a reason that in like eight or nine child's play films- it No, exactly. That's what I mean. You know, it's, it, like, yeah. I don't see it working without- 
Megan. Yes. Yeah. Like it's not going to work. I mean, she's the, the main. Called- she's what made this yeah. movie viral. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. You, it doesn't work if the sequel's called Todd and it's a boy dog <laughs> that looks. That's not going to. It needs to be this same blonde, creepy girl. Yes. Hundred percent. Which concerns me because I can't think of any scenario where anyone in that company would use the same face on the next doll. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we'll see. Um, yeah, but yeah, and uh, Alison Williams, I thought was was outstanding. I, I hope we see more of her. I, I'm, she's been in a few films over the last sort of I don't know two three years or whatever that I've been. Well, she was she was the girlfriend in Get Out, yeah. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, and she was in another outstanding film which not a lot of people saw called um, The Perfection, which right. was a horror film about uh, she plays a what is she a, a cellist or a violinist cellist I think. Um, yeah. Okay. And um, uh, there's she's a sort of this child prodigy um, musician, and there's a rival musician, and it goes some very dark places. Um, I'm not yeah. going to say any more about it, but it, it, it was um, people that people the few people that saw it, I think, were very very high on it. Uh, the perfection. Yeah. So yeah, check that out, people. If you haven't seen it, she was in that as well a, a few years ago. I think it was a Netflix film off the top of my head. But she's another. I mean, someone should be paying Lena Dunham finders fees because she came out of Girls as well. Oh, uh, yes. We got Adam yes. Driver and we got her out of this <laughs> yeah. one TV show. <laughs> so someone needs it's, to be it's, giving it's Lena Dunham some nice money somewhere. It's nice that some good stuff came out of Girls. <laughs> Fuck, I hated that show. I'm not a Lena Dunham fan at all. <laughs> I never watched uh, more than like half an episode. It was I was never a. Yeah, um, it, it was. I don't even think I forgot I that that's where Adam on, Driver but, came from. Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, no, Alison Williams was another one she, with that core yeah. cast. Um, but yeah, no, the um, I knew her mainly from the perfection, and, and she's incredible in that. And I thought she was great in this as well. well. Let me ask you a question because you and I are both pretty horror guys, like, we we like a lot of horror movies. Yep. Were you scared at all? No, no. <laughs> and I, 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 I found it basically a comedy. I thought it was very, very yes, funny. Yes, um, yes. I think, I think there was enough of a creep factor to the design of Megan that that um, there were a few scenes that sort of made me go, um, yeah with the way she moved and stuff. But at no point did I think it was scary. I think it, I, and I think deliberately so. I mean, they. they Obviously, the rating is pitching this as something. Oh. My 10-year-old daughter wants to see this. I was going to say, I think this is a great introduction to horror movie. This is the kind of thing that, you know, like I would have gone to see with a group of friends, you know, like late primary school, early high school, you know, like all yeah. had a laugh and felt grown up even though it's not actually scary in any way. Mm. That's that's Bloom's business savvy. Yeah. He yeah. knew this film would work just as well with without a lot of gore with and I don't I don't think I think even Paul was uh, if from memory on, on their review I mean he would have obviously loved to see some eviscerations and red stuff <laughs> but I think even he thought this worked just as well as it is and I think yeah that's that that's the business now of Bloom going you know this doesn't need and and in fact I think works just as well without yeah a lot of on screen oh. gore. I and think that's the side of the- And that's why yeah. it's got 
you know, it, it's off off twelve million bucks. It's already, I think, over a hundred million at the box office because yeah, you've got twelve year olds that can go and see this thing. Well, thirteen yeah. year olds, PG thirteen. Um, <laughs> you know, it's basically yeah. anyone can go to it, and I don't think parents are going to be too scared about the kids saying, "Oh, we're going off to see Megan." Okay, yeah, yeah. I think that's the sign of a good movie, actually, of that people who are usually into scary horror movies can watch this and and still like it as much as we did mm. and not be put off by the fact that it's not scary. I, like, yeah, I think it's- I, I think it would be different if it pulled its punches, but it it doesn't. It doesn't show you the gore, but she still yeah. calls that, that obnoxious little shitbag of a kid at the- Oh camp yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you know she kills the a minute dog. He's on if, screen, if a movie, if a movie kills, kills a, yeah, a dog, exa- yeah, that's 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 not holding punches. <laughs> yeah, dogs, yeah, old ladies and kids, and and yeah. they don't pull punches. And and while you don't see that boy getting killed, you almost see his ear ripped off, and you see a yeah. big bloody smear down the road where his corpse is dragged <laughs> by the car. It's so yeah, it's it's not that. You know, they, they pull their punches in terms of deaths or anything. They're just very clever yeah. about what, what goes on screen so that the classification yeah. board allow them to <laughs> scrape it through. And, I mean, as a PG-13, yeah. and, I mean, this is probably kind of pushing the envelope yeah. a little bit in terms yeah. of yeah. what happens. Yeah. So, how are you scoring, Megan, then? <sighs> I reckon it's an eight. Yeah, right. You're going to be pissed at me then because I'm giving it a seven, the exact same as Operation Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> I had a great fun weekend. I, I recommend both these movies. I think they're good fun. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd, I'd recommend I'd recommend Operation Fortune, but I'd probably say, oh, you can wait for streaming for it. I don't think it desperately needs a big oh, that's screen. That's true. Um, that's absolutely true. And it's probably that that that's the case probably for both of these. And Megan's already on streaming here. Um, yeah. So anyone can can get to it, but I think Operation Fortune is worth seeing because fingers crossed, it you know at least gets a, a sequel, if not a, a franchise of these characters, and you kind of want to know who they yeah. are. So I think there's enough there to enjoy that I'd I'd recommend it to people as a fun like popcorn watch at home. Yeah, um, but Megan, I think was I had a huge amount of fun with Megan, and we haven't really. Yeah. I mean while we're sort of scoring it, we haven't really touched on kind of the deeper aspects of the script. And I think it very cleverly quickly establishes the sort of tragic situation that Violet McGraw's character finds herself in. You know, parents are killed and and she's in the car, dumped with um, her aunt who is a lot younger than her mum, has no interest in having yeah. kids, very career-focused, obviously doesn't want to, you know, she wants to be the one looking after her niece. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, she's completely ill-prepared, has no idea how to do it, is, ob- you know, presumably going through a fair amount of grief of her own, having lost her sister. Yes. And then, yes. um, you know, is saddled with this young girl who is obviously in the throes of sorrow herself and acting up and all the rest of it. Um, yeah. It's not surprising that, you know, given her job and w- what she does at work, that she would lean on this sort of robotic crutch to particularly oh, when yeah. 
um, Katie sort of attaches herself so quickly to Megan. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought the script was incredibly tight and well-written. And, I mean, it's, you know, there are huge amounts of parents all out there that already use the crutch of, say, television it's, or that, iPads and that's to virtually exactly, raise their children. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that that's- uh, I was thinking that all the way through is swap Megan out for an iPad and I kind of feel yeah. like well, I'm, I'm just looking at a window on my life. <laughs> yes, yeah, busy, yeah, exactly. busy parents all over the world are doing exactly this, not necessarily yep. to deal with grief, but to deal with the pressures of, you know, having to work full time and have kids- you know, yeah, and and keep yeah. them entertained and all the rest of it, and yeah, as the psychologist says at at one point, sure, she Kay seems completely happy, you know, she's but she's not dealing with her grief. Yeah, this is this yeah. is allowing her to escape her grief. All yeah. she's doing is kind of postponing dealing with it. Yeah, and. Is that doing more harm than good? And I think it, while it doesn't delve too deeply into that, it never deviates from the genre of film that this is. I yeah, think it, yeah. it incorporates enough of that that it had me thinking all the way through about yeah, I agree. the characters and um, what it sort of meant in, in broader terms. I think it was it, it very cleverly didn't shy away from that without letting it sort of become too maudlin and overtake the, you know, the fun yeah. and the progression of the, the action stuff that you wanted to get to. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that kind of background that does run throughout the whole thing, I think it gives you that extra level of understanding the character's motivations and stuff as well. Like, even though <clears throat> Gemma, Alison um, Williams, is making kind of bad decisions almost the entire movie. Yeah. Don't you don't really feel that way about it? You feel like they're understandable decisions, and you oh, kind of feel bad for her, which is super important in what a I would, movie. Cause, yeah, yeah, because there's nothing worse than watching a movie going, "Oh, what are you doing? Don't do that. That's so stupid." But you're kind of not doing that in this movie at all, really, because you understand her grief and yeah, the struggle of having this kid kind of dumped on her. <laughs> yeah, I, I think her actions are. Exactly, probably what I would have done in her situation, you know. Yeah. Why would yeah. she? She's she's dedicated years of her life to creating this sort of robotic companion, yeah. and part of the reason for it, it is not just as a toy, but as a, you know, a, a, a surrogate friend slash mm. teacher slash whatever. Yeah. Part, part and now of, she has the perfect case study for it. Yeah, it's it's. There's a convenience there because she can get some testing done on this thing without needing to involve her boss or anything overly. And she genuinely believes in the work that she's put into this thing that it will do for Katie, you know, what it, what she designed it to do, which, yeah. you know, initially, yeah. obviously, it appears to do that. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, what are we getting to next week, mate? Mate, I reckon next week we're heading to Throwback Town, buddy. <laughs> how far back? How far back are we going? I, I, I don't know, man. How old is Barbara Streisand? <laughs> We've, I've got a patron request from wonderful patron of the show, Paul Leonido, who's a fantastic guy. He's a poet, a wonderful poet, actually. Oh. Um, and it's been a while. I can't. I think, actually, the last film he made me watch was Arrival, which I oh. fucking love that movie. Can't go wrong with that uh, one. 
He's never steered me wrong before, and this time he wants us to watch Yentl. So how do you feel about that, buddy? Have you seen it before? I I saw it probably. I'm going to say probably when it came out. (laughs) I think what is it? I've never seen it. Early '80s, isn't it? Very early '80s, or is it even? It's not '70s, is it? I think it's it's early '80s. Paul has made me watch a, a Babs movie before. We watched, um, now I can't even remember the name of it. I think it had a cat in it. <laughs> I remember I remember enjoying it. Uh, it was a comedy. Babs was good in it. Was, now I can't what, think what, what it was. Like, Topher hated it. Funny course. Girl or? Um, nah, it was more obscure than that. I think it was from the 60s blank. even. I'll, right. I'll find out. I'll find. Okay. I'll mention it next week when we. So there we go. So let's let's get to Yentl, buddy. No, I'm, 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 I'm even though I would have been a probably almost pre-teenager, I'm, I'm assuming when I saw it, um, I, I do distinctly remember that I enjoyed it. Which at that age, okay. obviously, there's a lot there, and obviously, you know, obviously, it's one of her most lauded performances. I think she did. She get best actress for that. I think she did. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and it was around. It, it was what in that space of. Um, cross-dressing films. I think Victor Victoria was around the same time and Tootsie <laughs> shortly thereafter. It was all very, yep. very funny having men as women and women as men back then. <laughs> um, no, right. I'm, I'm keen. Sweet. That's next week sorted. All right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing, and we'll catch you next week. See ya. See ya.